All right, Galatians. Starting in chapter 3, verse 19. 319. Uh, I'm excited about uh, this message, but I'm excited about tonight. I think that this has implications uh, for tonight, and I didn't plan it this way, but the Lord is divine in all of his plans and all of his ways, and he oftentimes works it out uh, that things would have emphasis and things would happen that would perfectly line up the way that they need to line up. He uses uh, sinful men to do that. He uses sinful circumstances. He uses indifferent circumstances that we don't understand exactly what's going on, but God understands what's going on, and God has greater plans that he's working out through uh, the hard times, such as the loss of a loved one, or through just times of indifference that we're doing things, and we don't really understand why we're doing it or how we're doing it, but we see for, further down the road, we see what God had in uh, mind the whole time. And oftentimes, as it, were, as it was with the Jews and with Old Testament Israel, oftentimes, the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in, we oftentimes interpret them wrongly. We oftentimes see our situation one way, and we are trying to learn from it or uh, 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 walk in it in one way, and we find out later that it was intended for something completely different. Have you ever found that to be true in your life? You found that you found yourself in a, in a situation, in a circumstance, in a position in life, and you thought, well, this is, this, is, this is beyond my understanding. Or you, you find yourself you're saying, well, I know why God's doing this. It's for X, Y, Z. And you get down the road and you realize, well, it wasn't actually for that. It was for something completely different. You know, oftentimes we try to justify things in our mind and we try to, we try to pat ourselves on the back. And we oftentimes, listen to this, we oftentimes try to make things about us when all the while it was about Jesus Christ and about God's kingdom. How often, how often we fail and we fall into misunderstanding because we make things about us. And let me tell you something. It's very true that if you are, if you are of the mind that the world is about you, it will come with great failures and great collapses because it's actually not about you. It will make despair that much darker. It will take away from the victories because they only can go so far. You see, even the victories in life are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They're for him. Even the victories as well as the failures. In the scriptures today, as we look toward uh, Gen I mean, Galatians chapter 3, verses 19, we'll go through the end of chapter 3, verse 29. So roughly 10 verses today. Um, I, uh, I'm excited to get into this because what it's going to show is we've looked at the scriptures and up, to, up through Galatians chapter 18, we've seen Paul uh, defend uh, his gospel over and over and over again. And that gospel is that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that uh, is the work of Jesus Christ that was done on the cross in perfect obedience in order to completely
completely fulfill the law. And by our belief, the law is fulfilled in us. We become sons, and that supersedes the law of the Old Testament. And then we have these Jews that came in. They wanted to say, well, Jesus Christ is good. He's necessary. Yes, you've got to believe, but that's only half of it. You need to believe, and you need to be circumcised. And if you were an older guy, you was like, hold up, what? You get away from me with that scalpel, right? But we understand that circumcision is actually just a, a foreshadowing. It is a tie. Paul tells us in Romans, he says, it's not about circumcision in the flesh. It's about the circumcision of the heart. And so we are looking for a transformation in the heart. We're looking for a, a, a revealing in the heart. This is circumcision like baptism was only a sign of an inward work. It was only a sign of a deeper uh, circumcision. And so we see Paul saying, look, circumcision is of no value. He said, not only do the Gentiles not need to be circumcised, but the Jews never gained anything from their circumcision as well. It was only a sign for them too. And he takes, he says, you want a verse for that? I've got one for you. And he quotes in Genesis, he says, uh, and Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, showing that even Abraham, who the covenant was made to in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 12, that he also was, had a relationship and was the child of God, was the heir of God by promise and not by works. And so as we've preached through Galatians, Paul said this time and time again in different ways, all pointing to the same fact that not only are Gentiles not saved and not justified by the law, but neither were the Jews. They were never justified by the law either. And what he does is he says it was never about works of the law, and it was never about an ethnicity. It was never about a fleshly nation. But all of these were foreshadows of what God was truly doing, and the promise was made to who? The promises were made to who? Come on, we learned this one last week. was made to his offspring. And who is the offspring? Who did he define as the offspring? All together, one, two, three. Jesus, I knew you had it in you, trying to work on that Baptist part of you. Hallelujah. You know, what was it? Mike Byers been like, man, I found myself here. I like, he, 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 he was like, oh, this right here. <laughs> I'm no longer a slave. You know? It's like the Pentecostal coming out, but you want to be like, no. It's like, no. <laughs> so we're looking at Galatians 19, and we're picking up, and, and what Paul's going to say is all the way up to this point, he says, the law is not, 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 the law is not. Did you get it? The law is not, the law is not. The law is not the beginning of justification. It actually, we said, I think two weeks ago, that the law should not even be presented or brought up in a conversation about justification or salvation. Okay? That the law should not even find its way in to the conversation about salvation. Now, is that true, especially in our Southern Bible Belt? Now, oftentimes, the law and legalities. Now, maybe not the Old Testament circumcision, rites of passage, and that type of thing, but we often import other things. Colossians would say that you make man-made rules and regulations, thinking that by them you can do something, but 
you just find that you're, you're lost, and, 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 and it becomes a problem for you because we can never measure up. We said oftentimes that when we say that the law makes God love us better, it leads to two places. What are those two places? Either one, despair, or pride, because you can never do it, or you've done it, Right? Both are sinful. So we find that the way to glory, the way to Christ is by faith and not by the law. And so up to this point, Paul said, the law does not, the law does not, the law does not. And so his audience would have maybe come to the conclusion, I think they have because he's answering this question now. They've come to the conclusion then, well, what Paul is doing is what they accused Stephen of doing in Acts chapters five and six and seven, when you see the stoning of Stephen, what Paul's doing is what they accuse Stephen of doing. And Paul, he's blaspheming against God and he's cutting off Moses. He's saying that, that almost to the verge that maybe Paul was being accused of saying the Old Testament wasn't even scripture because hasn't he really just drove the law into the ground almost? Is that the law cannot do anything that you thought it could do. You thought it did this, it doesn't. You thought it was this, it wasn't. You thought, you thought, you thought, and you were wrong. How often do we think things after our own minds and after our own flesh and after our own situation and circumstances only come to find out that it wasn't what we thought it was? And so Paul's saying the law does not even belong in the conversation of justification or salvation. And then this question comes out. It's a rhetorical question. He's going to answer it. He says, why then the law? Galatians 3.19, why then the law? Okay, so uh, Paul says, now the law is not to justify the Gentiles or the Jews. Abraham even was justified by faith. And then the law came, he's going to say, 430 years after he promised Abraham that he would be a father of great nation. His offspring, who he defined as Jesus Christ, would be blessed with all of these promises, all the promises of the Spirit, he defines. And then he says, so the law came 430 years later. He goes on. We, we read last week in Galatians 3.18, he says, now if a, if a covenant or a promise is made, if a, if a covenant is made, it, is, it will never be added to once it's ratified, once it's signed, once it's agreed on, and God said, I promise you this, then I'm not going to change it. And Paul says, he's, he said up to this point, he said the promise was never enacted by the law. The children of the promise were not those of the flesh, were not those of the works of the law, but they were by faith the children of Abraham. So it is anybody who is by faith, those are the children of Abraham. Those are the ones who are the elect of God. That is the church. That is true Israel. Those are the ones who are set apart from the beginning of time to be the children of God. Now he said, so what the, why did God put the law there ever in the first place? Why did he do it? He says, why then the law? So today we are going to get into why did God give the law? Now we've already looked at one particular aspect of the law and why it was given. Do you remember what we said? Are you learning as we're going through? What did we say uh, was one of the reasons that the law uh, can be used in the believer's life today? Huh? You got it? A sign. It's an evidence. Good, Jake. That's good. Speak up, brother. You, you got it. It's a sign. We look at our lives and we compare it to the law, not that we would be justified by the law, but that our faith would be evidenced by our working out of the law. So is the, does the law have a place? Is, is the law evil? No, may it never be. 
God forbid. Is the law good? Yes. Does the law have a purpose? Yes. The problem is that when we fail to make the distinction between the law as the justifier and what it was truly intended to do. So we say one thing we've already talked about, Jake hit it, was that it's a sign. It's an evidence that someone has truly been saved, that they truly have the Spirit living within them. And when they walk these uh, laws out, when they fulfill the commands of God, then they do so to the evidence that they've truly been born again and they're a set-apart people, that they're counter cultural. Those of you who claim to know Christ, but there's no difference in your life, you can't tell any difference between you and the world, then I'm not telling you that you're not saved because that's God's prerogative, not mine. But I'm telling you that I can't tell you're saved and that should scare the bejesus out of you. Because I believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. I believe in the perseverance of the saints. I do. I believe uh, in, in, in the keeping uh, and the security of a believer. I believe in that. But I also believe that the only person that can take comfort in the doctrine of the security of the believer, the perseverance of the saints, is the one who is presently walking out his faith. For those who truly know God, they will persevere until the end. Humps and bumps along the way. That's why I don't know. That's why I on this side, that's why I as a person, I can't tell. I look at you today, and you're like, you're sinning. I'm like, man, this guy's an unregenerate piece. My wife's like, don't finish the sentence. And then the next day, he repents, and he loves Jesus, and he's got fruit. And I'm like, this guy is a schizophrenomaniac. I don't know what he is, right? I don't know what. So I can't judge. Now, I can't look at a brother out of love and say, you claim to be a brother, but your tree's got nasty fruit. You rot it up, and that ain't what the Bible says you should have on your limb. And he's like, well, uh, uh, you know, a worm got in that one. And I'm saying, you need to shake it off. Shake, shake, shake it off and get, get with the program. You need to press it. So we see the law. That's one aspect of the law. But now he's going to go further, and he's going to show a few more implications. So let's stand to our feet as we read the Word of God out of respect for the Word of God. And let's get into this because it's extremely interesting. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 says this, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until. That's going to be a very important word because until shows a, a, a temporary nature. It shows, it shows this temporal uh, uh, aspect of its, of its being, of, of, of its uh, uh, reality. Until the offspring, which he defined, should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in, the, it was put in place through angels by an intermediary or a mediator. Now an, uh, now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? There's another question to show another purpose. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not, or may it never be. God forbid, he's saying, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. I think that's our thesis for what the law is intended for. But let's continue on. 
Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons. That's going to be important. The big distinction is... Those who are not of the family and only in here for a while, and those who are family. Are you family or are you uh, a, a faker? Are you an imposter? Have you snuck your way in to enjoy the benefits of the family? And you're really an outsider or are you part of the family? Are you a son? So, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you uh, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is, here's huge, this is huge. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Bam! Heirs according to the promise. That's huge. That's huge. Oh, y'all didn't get that? You may be seated. <laughs> I thought it was huge, huge. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You see, this is exciting right here because now I have learned through Paul that law has no part of my justification, but by faith, I have become a child of God. I have re received the spirit of adoptions as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We will read those scriptures here in just a little bit. I have read, I am a part of the family. I am no longer under law. I am not obligated to the law. Many people think that's a dangerous statement. But you who are children are no longer obligated to the law. Now, does that mean you will, uh, that you will be anti-law? Or is that antinomy? Is that anti? No. But you are not obligated. You don't follow the rules and the regulations of the law. Not like a slave. Not like one who is under the law. That's not you. Because the law's been filled up full in you. It is as if you have obeyed the letter of the law perfectly throughout your whole entire life and on throughout eternity. That imparted righteousness was secured by Christ through the cross and through the resurrection and the sending of the Holy Spirit to place that fulfillment inside of you, and it will work itself out. So let's look at a few things right here. As we open up the scriptures to Galatians 3, and we just read these Paul says, why then the law? And he's going to go on to explain. Okay, let's go. He says it was added because of transgressions. Let's stop right there. It was added because of transgressions. Now, this sentence or this part of a sentence right here, uh, can, it can pose a little bit of an issue depending on how we look at it and how we allow it to speak to us. And I think that there's some hidden things in here that we can pull out if we understand how the, how the sentence is formulated and how it all works together. If I had my whiteboard up here, I'd draw it a little bit, but I don't, and that's okay. So if we look at these and we say, why then the law? He says it was added because of transgressions. Now, that because right there is showing a purpose. But what we've got to ask ourselves is, is he talking about the transgressions that were before uh, the law came? Or is he talking about transgressions that would come later? 
Because it could read, for instance, like this. The law then was added because of transgressions that had been committed in order to do something with them. Agreed? It could read that way, right? So because of transgressions, what does that mean? It, was it the sins that had been committed? We need, to, we need to stop doing these sins, and so the law came, and, and it's going to help us to overcome this type of behavior? Or is he saying that the law was added because of transgressions that were about to come? Because, see, the transgressions was what made the law come. This is why the law was added. But I think that we can look at other parts of the scripture and see that both of these have some legitimacy. But I think that the primary purposes of Paul in this letter and in this time is about the transgressions that would come. Now, I'm going to make a distinction here that Martin Luther makes in his. I think he hits the nail on the head. He says there was two primary purposes for the law. If you're taking notes and writing these down, you can write this down. There were two primary purposes for the law of Moses, okay? Now, we're talking about the law of Moses, not the law of Christ. The law of Moses was given to Mount Sinai. It was given through the Levitical system and the ritualistic stuff and sacrifices. Two main purposes of why this uh, law was given. Number one, civil restraint. Civil restraint. Mickey and I had a conversation about this oh, uh, two, three months ago, maybe talked to some of you about it. In one way, the Old Testament Levitical law, the Old Testament law at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, in one way we can look at that and say, well, no, we agree that this doesn't justify, but these are really good um, moral rules that should guide any society and are legitimately applied to uh, 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 any country or governmental system. And if you look at our, our governments around the world, uh, Generally speaking, the, the Ten Commandments could really serve, and I think do serve, as a foundation. Now, they might say, they might not have went to the Bible and got the Ten Commandments, but God's law is, is law, and His truth is truth no matter where they thought they got it from. It was established here. So we can look at the Ten Commandments and look at the governmental systems of the world, and we can say, the Ten Commandments really serve as a really good basis for any governmental system to really restrain evil within an evil people. And who are evil people? All y'all, right? All of us are. Before Christ, all of us, there, there's none righteous, no, not one. And so we see one very basic function of God's law, of his Levitical system. It was to restrain, it was for civil restraint, to restrain evil for the good benefit of the people, for the good practical benefit of the people, okay? So that's number one. I think that was given. It has no uh, salvific or salvation. It has no implications of salvation, okay? It was just good practical stuff that would keep the uh, civil restraint within the people. Secondly, now this has some uh, salvific or some sal salvific is just like a, a plan of salvation. It's when you talk about salvation. I don't want to use words that you don't understand. Uh, I want you to understand them. Everybody says, you need to take your messages down to here. Well, the problem is I want y'all to come up to here. All right? So I don't need to stay down here all the time. Now, I'm going to put a cookie on the shelf, okay? You get your cookie. All right, I'll put a bottle up there. You, you suck on it for a little while, and then get on up a little bit to the next shelf, okay? We're going to work it this way right here, right? Everybody do like this. Say, work it, preacher. <laughs> so we're going to put some down here. That's good. We're going to do that. But we're going we're gonna to teach and train to you. If you stay down there, y'all going to stay down there. We need to get up here. So 
Some aspects of the law, they do have implications concerning salvation and justification. And I believe this is one of them. Now, what I'm not saying is that the law plays a part in salvation uh, as the actual working out your salvation. I'm not saying that. That God works out your salvation, okay? That, that God is, is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. But what we see the law doing and what Paul's going to really focus on here is that it is, uh, uh, number one, civil restraint. But number two, and most importantly, uh, it brings sinful awareness. Civil restraint, but also sinful awareness. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? What I mean by that is that as the law was given, now let's go back to our verse, uh, the law was added. So why then the law? The law was added because of transgressions. Now, I want to read another verse, and uh, <clears throat> I was reading another, uh, his, another uh, commentator on this. His name is Timothy George, really good commentary. And he made a statement, and I think he's just right on the money. He said, he said that what we find is, is that Romans, the book of Romans that Paul wrote, is actually our best commentary on Galatians. So as we look to let the Scripture um, interpret the Scripture, we need to let the Scripture uh, and other uh, works that Paul wrote have the first shot at interpreting anything that we might not understand. Does that make sense? So Paul over in uh, uh, Romans, which was written after Galatians, he goes a little bit farther into this, and he writes this in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. <clears throat> he says this. Now we're going we're gonna to back up and do 18 and just... Remember, the same word trespass was used. So let's go back and let's read Galatians, and then we're going to go and read uh, uh, Romans, and you see what, what I'm talking about. So Galatians 3.19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Trespass, same, that same word, that same idea there. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. But let's back up. It was added because of transgressions or trespasses or sins, that type of did. Now listen to uh, Romans 5.20, starting in 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Here it is. Now the law came in. That's that same idea. The law was added. It came in. It, 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 it took us to a new place. It showed us something different. Now, the law uh, came in to increase the trespass. To increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what does that mean? It says, as the trespass, uh, as the law came in, it served to increase the trespass, to increase the transgression. So the law that God gave, it, it made us aware of more sin. It, when, when the law comes in, does it not make sin grow? Now you say, well, that sounds like an evil law, Brandon. That sounds like it's just a terrible, why, why would a loving God do that? That was mean of him. But what was God doing? Was it unloving of God to set a law out there that would even make our sin multiply? Well, we got to ask ourselves a question. A legitimate question comes out right there. 
if rules are set on you, and because the rule is there, you break the rule, is it the lawgiver or the rule giver that is to blame, or is it the person who broke the law or the rule to blame? What, huh? The person who broke the rule. Amen. When God puts a regulation on us, is it a good regulation? Is, it, is the law good, perfect, and righteous in every way? Yes. We'll read that again in here in a second. <clears throat> the law is perfect. It's perfect. And if you would perfectly obey the law, then there wouldn't be a need for Jesus Christ to come. But what the law does is show you just how wicked you are so that you might turn to Christ. And the more you try to keep the law, the worse you become. This is amazing because Paul's going to say, you who started out a good, why have you turned away? Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Did you start out? Did you receive the things of the Spirit by the works of the law or by faith? And now, as we are Christians, we, enter, we try to enter back through the gate of the law, and it makes things worse. Listen, I'll give you a very practical example on this. Let me speak to the family for just a second before I give the example. And when I say family, I mean true believers in the room. If you've sinned against God, if you've broken the law, if you've broken the commandments, your way back to God and back to relationship with him, not that you ever even really stepped out of it, but your way back to peace is not by strictly punishing your flesh and obeying the law. As a matter of fact, when you try to do that, it makes things worse. And here's how. Say, I go into a room. My kitchen. We've got sweets all over our kitchen now for some reason. Well, I know the reason. It's, it was Ezekiel's birthday. I'm just cupcakes, brownies, oothers, ice cream in the freezer. Now, I could use myself, and I'm going to use my son. I don't want to tell on myself, okay? But Asher can be in the kitchen, surrounded by delightful dishes, wonderful delicacies, icing that comes up. But he's unaware, playing with his toys in the floor. Not breaking any laws. Not breaking any rules. He ain't even thinking about that cupcake. But I come into the room and I pick my head around the corner. I go, Asher, do not eat that cupcake. I come back in, he's got it all over his face. He wasn't going to eat that cupcake. He hadn't sinned. But I said, don't eat the cupcake. <laughs> I'll use myself now since I threw my son under the bus. I'm on a diet. No, I'm not really, but I want to be on a diet. I say I'm on a diet. And I will do good. But I have found, since I have told my flesh, you will not eat that cupcake, that I find I'm like this. No. 
And then I, I'm the one with it on my face. Okay, I threw my son on the bus. It was really me. <laughs> you, know? you see, when, you, when the rule comes, when the rule comes, you say, don't mash the button, don't mash the button. You're like, I got to mash the button. And we find ourselves breaking the law. So is it God's fault? No, it's not God's fault. The law was perfect, just, and good. But what it did was it served to bring sinful awareness and spiritual awareness that we need a Savior because we can't keep the law. And the more the law is revealed to us, the more sinful we become. You cannot be justified by the law. You will not be justified by the law. You can only be justified by Christ. And the more you try to be justified by the law, the worse you become. And the worse is your situation. So spiritual awareness, sinful awareness. The law seems to reveal the wickedness. The, the law serves to reveal the wickedness of, the ones, of one's heart that we might see our need for Christ, the sufficient Savior. Okay, now, I think that those are the two main things. We could go way deeper into that, but I think that's enough. If you, if you want to go over, I've got a note here to look at it, but I'm not going to take the time. Exodus 20 18 through 19, that's when the law was given on Mount Sinai to Moses. And when the people of God, they had washed themselves clean, they had washed their garments white as snow, and they came to the foot of the mountain, and Moses came off the mountain. He had the tablets, he had the law, and they saw great flashes of thunder or lightning and great claps of thunder, and it was just this great cloud over the mountain and the thunderous voice of God. And they looked at Moses and they said, we can't be here. We got to go and hit the door. Why? Because they saw their utter sinfulness. They thought that they had cleaned themselves up. But when they got into the presence of the law and the presence of the Lord, they knew then that they needed a mediator. And they said, Moses, let us talk to you. Let us talk to you. We can't talk to God. Moses is a type of Christ. He's the lesser mediator. Christ is the greater mediator. The, the law pushes us to the mediator, pushes us to Jesus Christ to see our need for him. Now, let's move on. Didn't mean to spend even that much time there. Look at the next section of that uh, word right there, or that sentence right there. It says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promises or a promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels uh, by a, uh, an intermediary or a mediator. Now an intermediary applies more than one, but God is one. Here is what uh, this is. Now, it took me a little while to kind of untangle this a little bit. In our, It's just a language barrier in our language and in their language. But here's what it's saying. When that word until comes, it shows the temporary nature of the law that it was never intended to be an eternal uh, justifying law that would be over the children of God for all the days of his life. It was until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And what do we already understand the offspring to be? We saw it in, uh, Paul defines this himself. We don't even have to wonder about it. In verse uh, 16, he says, it does not say it unto all springs, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. So we see that the law was added because of transgressions until the offspring who is Christ should come to whom the promise had been made. 
Now we know the promise had been made to Abraham's offspring and those who by uh, being born into that family would become heirs to the throne. Any, the, the promises were made to Christ and anyone who would have faith in Jesus Christ. We understand the children of Abraham, the true children of God, the true Israel, the church, the bride. We understand that to be all of those who by faith would enter into God's family and become God's children. The text is clearly pointing out here that the law was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Has the offspring come? Yes, it has. The Christ has come. He has done the work. He has fulfilled the law. He has uh, paid the price, the, the, the propitiation for sins to justify us before, the God, before God in his sacrificial atonement. So we see that this shows that the temporary nature of, this shows the temporary nature of the law, and we read the same thing in Colossians 2:14 and in Matthew 5:17 through 18. I won't read both, but I will show you Matthew 5, 5, 17 and 18 says this. This is Jesus' words uh, recorded by Matthew, says this: "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them. I did not come to cut them off and say they're worthless. See, that's the extremes that we go to. We either say you've got to be justified by the law or the law is worthless. No, we find balance in Christ. And what we find is, is that he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, but to fulfill them. And this is what he says. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus Christ accomplished it at the cross and as he came out of the tomb. And what we find is, and I can't go to all the places, all over Scripture, Hebrews chapter 8 says, what we find then that this law that, that served this thing, it, 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 what we find then is that it's, that it's becoming obsolete. It is growing dim and is becoming obsolete. It is no longer applied to the children of God. But let's go on because I want to show you now that... I, want to, I'm not, I don't want to just skip over this, but I want to show you this in passing because I really want to get to uh, verses 21 through the end of the chapter. When he says here, now uh, uh, he says, uh, the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by, an, uh, by a mediator. Now, an intermediary or a mediator implies more than one, but God is one. That kind of threw me off a little bit because he hasn't talked about angels or how the law was given in this section but as I did a little research, I find that, and you can jot these down if you want to look at them yourself, in Acts 7, 38 and 53, and then in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, he tells us then that the, the laws that were written on the tablets at Mount Sinai were actually uh, given by angels to Moses. I'll read one of them just because I don't want you to think that I'm making this up or anything, but I think you trust me more than that, but I just, I got to get it in the Word. It's just look like this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2 says this. Uh, I'll read verse 1 too. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels 
proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just, just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such great a salvation? And so that was the law given to Moses by the angels. And he's saying is that if you uh, think that that was holding, and he makes a distinction between the law of Moses and the law of Christ, how shall we escape if we neglect this law, the law of the Spirit, the law of Christ? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So what he's doing here in Galatians chapter 3, verses uh, the last 19b and 20, he's saying that the law that was given by uh, angels, the intermediaries, to Moses, it was a lesser law than that which he gave through Christ. Because this had to come by angels to another, which was Moses, a mediator, not the God-man mediator, but a type of Christ. It was given uh, from God by angels to Moses to the people. And so this was, this was a chain here that was, uh, that was given to do something lesser than the promise that God made directly to Abraham and his descendants. You see that? All he's doing is he's pointing out the superiority of the law of Christ or of justification by faith over the law of Moses. So the law is good, it's perfect and holy, but it's not as good as the law of Christ or justification by faith. Does that make sense? Everybody got that? Okay, so let's move on here. He's elevating justification by faith over the law. He said the law was never intended to justify. What it was intended to do was, number one, civil restraint, just practically speaking, and number two, it was to show you just how utterly sinful you were. And the closer you get to the law, the closer you get to the Scriptures, the more sinful you become and the more sinful you realize you are until you fall into your face and cry out to the King of kings and Lord of lords because you realize you can not make it yourself. So the law then served to drive us to Jesus Christ. Now, he goes on with another question. He says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? He says, is the law bad then? Was, was the law working against us? Was, was the law evil if that's what it was? You know, he said, so that transgressions might increase, so that trespasses might increase? It was added because of transgressions. Does that mean that this contrary then? Is it, is it opposed to God's promises? And Paul uh, uses this term that he, I think, I think there's like 14 instances, 11 or 12 of them are his. And he says, certainly not, or it's also translated, God forbid, may it never be is what Paul's saying. It's not contrary to the promises, but it's right in line with the promises. He says, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. He said, it's not. It's not opposed to the promise. It, in order for the law to be in opposition to the promise, it would have to offer an alternative salvation. You see? If the law did what the Jews said it would do, it couldn't be in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Christ says there is salvation but by one man, the God-man who died on the cross in our place so that we might receive the Spirit and the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, if the law had been, get, had been given that could have brought righteousness, then it would be opposed to the promise because then it would offer a competing alternative, a competing uh, salvation, a competing justification. He says, but that's not the case. He said, it's not the case. He said, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Here is our thesis. He says, no, the, the law was not to give us a righteousness that would compete with Jesus Christ, but they worked 
together. You see, this is the problem with many systems of doctrine and many systems of theology that would say, well, God was doing one thing in the beginning with one people, and then he stopped that, and he started another thing with another people in another way. And Paul says, no, these are not competing systems. These are not competing ways that we would get to God one time and get to God another time. But this has been one thing from the very beginning. It's been one line, the redemptive line brought by Jesus Christ to the elect people of God who he would go and get no matter what. And everything that has happened in human history has in many ways happened so that you would be here right now in this time, in this place, hearing of Jesus Christ, being born again through faith in him. Randy, wake up. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, coach. Everything, everything served its purpose. Every law, it was not opposed. It was not contrary to, it was not against. It was not in opposition, but it was in line with the promise the whole time. And it was, it was a large driving force that would bring the sons of God to redemption and to the regeneration that they would experience through Christ. Amen? Amen. It's always been this way through the beginning. And he says, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You say, preacher, you sure are saying elect a lot. You sure are saying, look, I don't know who's going to be saved. You say, who's the elect of God? Those who believe. Who will believe? Anybody who will. But I thought they were elect. They are. Has God got a, a, a particular people for a particular time? Yes, he does. Who are they? Whoever will believe. Whosoever will may come, Revelation. Before the foundations of the world, you've been predestined in Christ. Yes, we say amen and amen. You see, God had a purpose in the law that it would serve to bring anyone who would believe to Jesus Christ. There's not two, but there's one. This is the purpose of the law. You say, what's the purpose of the law? To be obeyed? No. To be disobeyed. Do you hear what the preacher just said? The purpose of the law is to be broken. That it would drive you to the one who has obeyed it. Come on, you got to write that down somewhere or something. The purpose of the law in sinful men was to be broken that that despair would drive you to the one that upheld it and obeyed it, that it might be fulfilled in us through him, through his work on the cross and the sending of the Spirit. Top faster, Chad. Hurry. I hear banjos. Now, I've got about five minutes to do five verses, but I can do it. I think. I want to show you this here, and we're going we're gonna to close it out. If the band wants to come on up, actually, they can. I am, I, it won't take long to do this because it's, it's not hard to understand. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. Now, we just saw the thesis of Paul's statements on what the law is for, and it's so that uh, the Scripture would imprison everything, the law, 
He, he, when he says scripture, he means Old Testament scripture. You understand they didn't have the New Testament yet. I mean, he's writing it. Okay? So when he says scripture, he means Torah. He means, he means the Tanakh. He means the law. Okay? So he says the law imprisoned everything under sin so that it would drive those uh, people who would believe to faith in Jesus Christ. All of it was pointing to Christ. He says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian, our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The picture is this, is that everyone, you see, the world wants to say, well, People are actually good at heart. You hear them say, you know, I hear, oh, man, I'll be talking to some mom who's got a crackhead, dopehead, thieving piece for a son. And she's actually like, no, they really tell me this. He's got a good heart. No, he don't. No, he don't. He does, you are lying and your heart ain't no good either. He does not have a good heart. He's got a wicked, evil heart just like me and just like you. He does not need someone to justify his behaviors. He does not need rules and regulations that would steer him in the right direction. He just needs some structure, preacher. No, he doesn't. He needs foot to tail by Jesus. Literally, he needs Jesus to blind him like he did Paul. To utterly cut off any hope from this world. Did you ever see that's what happened to Paul? You see, Paul hoped in what he saw. He hoped in all of his, his he was a law-abiding citizen. Paul hoped in all of his pharisaical perfections. He said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I had it going on. But he was struck blind. And all of his hope at being somebody was snatched away from him in an instant. That's what the law does. It helps us to see that we're in prison. The scriptures actually imprison those who are not in Christ. Why? So that when we see Christ, who he himself says that he has the key to Hades, when we see him walking in with the key, we know. Why don't you stop playing? Get, get down with yourself. Oh. I thought y'all was waiting on me. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. It was the jailer that kept us in. It was the, it was the guardian that kept us pinned down and pressed so that we might know that we need a Savior. It goes on to say this, for in Christ, I'm sorry, verse 25, but now that faith has come, here is where we are. You say, how is this practical? How is this applicable to me? We've talked a lot about the law. Well, if you're in Jesus Christ, if you're not in Christ, then you can apply the whole conversation to you now that you're imprisoned under that. And many of you in this room, I'm, I'm sad to say that you've only gotten religion throughout your life. 
and you've only had someone tell you that you must do this, 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 and this in order to be saved. But the problem is, is that I just revealed to you through the scriptures that all of this, 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 and this, all it can do is make your situation worse. Did, did, we, did we absolutely show that in the scriptures? Did we show that? This is yes, this is no. We did. If you try to alleviate your circumstances, your depression, your despair, your non-peace, your, your turmoil, if you try to overcome it and suppress it with obedience, with, with will, grit, determination, and with the law of the Scriptures, it will make it worse. You need faith. You need to become a son of God. Because now let me switch to the conversation. Let me speak to the children of God in the room. But now faith has come. But now faith has come. Sister, brother in Christ, now faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You are no longer draped in the world, but you are covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are no longer enshrouded in sin and in darkness and transgression and trespass. But the sacrifice of Christ that you have believed and received the Spirit has relieved you of all of your trespasses. It has come in and washed away all of your transgressions. It's washed you white as snow before a king that is perfect in every way. And now we, by Christ, enter the throne room with confidence because we are children of God. There is the distinction. Those outside of Christ are only, they're only posers. They're illegitimate heirs. They're not children of God. They long to be maybe. They, 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 they look in from the outside and they want the blessings, but they don't love God. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. Now there is neither Jew nor Greek. Neither is, uh, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. You can be a child of God, freed from the law. You see, that's Paul's whole point. And as we all stand to our feet, we'll close out here. This is Paul's whole point. So Paul goes into this big excursus on what the law was intended to do. And the law was intended to give some civil restraint, but that's not what he's, that's not what he's uh, talking about here. What he's talking about here is that the law in and of itself could only push you farther away, not because of its imperfection, but because of our imperfection. He says in Romans 8, because the law, weak as it was through the flesh, the law wasn't weak, it was our flesh that was weak. 
And the closer we get to the law, the more sinful we realize. And the more, the, the more we realize we need a Savior. So it pushes us to Jesus Christ. And in this very hour, I say to you that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That all who call upon his name will receive a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, and the law will be removed from you. Are you tired of the law standing over you as a guardian beating you down? Are you tired of being enslaved and, 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 and locked up, trapped, locked away with no hope because you've broken the law? Why, why do you remain under the law when Christ Jesus has come to fulfill the law that all might be accomplished? The law has nothing to do with you, child of God. The law is not your justifier, it's not your savior. But he will work the law out through you when you become an heir to the promise. An heir to the promise. A true child of Abraham. So I would say today that you can speak with confidence on what the law was intended for. The law was intended for all those outside to be pressed to Christ. To be driven to Christ. And the law will do one or two things. It will harden the heart so that they hate God that they would never look to God or it will drive them into his arms because they know they can't do it themselves. What is it doing to you? Do you have self-righteous pride built up in you that you think that you could fulfill the law in such a, uh, in such a way that it would make you righteous? No. Come to Christ. All of you who are outside of Christ, come to Christ. The law will be fulfilled. All of those uh, who are in Christ and have put yourself back up under the guardian, just know that you don't have to do that. You hurt yourself. You live free now. You're not under obligation to the law. You're under obligation to Christ. Because he is your father. He is your brother. He is your friend. Let us live in him because we love him. Because he is our family. Let us be quick to forgive. Let us be quick to show grace and mercy. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That the law would be fulfilled. And that we as children would be set free. The last little example, and we're going to pray. How many of you ever seen the movie Mrs. Doubtfire? pretty popular movie. Robin Williams was a great actor. Miss him. But do you remember when he, now I don't, you remember the baby, they tried to get several babysitters before he became Mrs. Doubtfire. And you remember the babysitter was like a military drill sergeant? She was like this, 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 this. And, he, and she had them all. How happy were they when mom came home? Do you remember that part of the movie? I tried to find that clip, but I couldn't find it. You remember that part of the movie? The military drill sergeant babysitter that was so just by the rules, by the book, everything had to be perfect. How happy were the little children when mom got home? Mommy! This is the picture. This is the picture. And many of you children, for some reason, you're staying at the Nazi babysitter's house. And you fail to realize that dad's right outside. And the door has been flung wide open because he brought the key 
out of the tomb. Don't stand in the house under the Nazi babysitter anymore, but run out into daddy's arms. Run out into dad's arms. Jump up in his arms and twirl around in the yard like some, some corny movie. He loves you. He loves you so much. And I don't do that much. You know, I'm like a systematic theology nick-nick guy. But let me tell you, God really does love you so much. He loves you. He longs to just throw his arms around you and pick you up and swing you around. He does. Let's do that today. It's Thanksgiving. Let's just tell him how thankful we are. How much we love him. Isn't he good? Isn't he good, church? He's good. Amen. Amen. He's good. Respond as God has moved in your heart. If you're not a child of God and you would like to give your heart to God today, uh, if the Lord's been moving in you and speaking to you and calling to you, give your heart to Him today. You don't need me to do that, but if you'd like for me to talk to you, I'll be right up here worshiping or praying or something. If you, if you want me to talk to you, I will. But you don't have to have me. Give Him your heart. Confess your sins. Confess that He is God. That, that, that God raised Him from the dead. Give your heart today. I love you guys. Let's, let's worship Him and be thankful.